Good morning. My name is Janice Ray. I'm going to be doing the Awakening uh, Facebook Live message here this morning. And I'm going to give everybody a few minutes to get on. Let's see. I want to find out if my moderator can hear me. Let's see. Megan, can you hear me? I see that there are three um, eyes up there, <laughs> but I want to make sure that Megan and everybody can hear me. Okay, Megan said it's all good. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's see. Good morning. Here we go. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now I'm seeing comments come up. Want to make sure that I give everybody just a second to get on here. Welcome to the awakening. I'm um, honored to be here with you today and to have this privilege that the awakening would allow me to speak to you. This is uh, my home church, the awakening. I love this fellowship. Very hungry for the Lord and um, seeking the Lord and wants to, you know, follow the Lord and do what the Lord is doing and saying in these days. So I'm excited to be a part of that. All right. I think we're right at 10 o'clock. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray and uh, get started. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Just invite you, Holy Spirit, invite your presence. Even though this is, you know, going through a, um, a media kind of channel and there's not a, a, a live audience sitting here or anything, Lord, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your presence. I pray right now that you would just come with your presence into every place and everyone who is uh, watching today and that you would come and you would open our ears to hear your word and open our hearts. Um, to receive more of you, Lord. We need more of you. We need so much more of you. That, Lord, in fact, we need all of you. We don't just need more. <laughs> we need all of you. We need all of you in our lives, that you would be all in all. We need all of you. And so I ask today that um, you just speak to us, uh, Holy Spirit, that these words would take flight, that would take flight in our lives, that, Lord, that... Um, your word would accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. Lord, that we would be we would be changed by your word. We look into your word, Lord. We wouldn't be um, as that person that looks in the mirror, Lord, and forgets what they see after they walk away. But we would look into the mirror of your word, Lord, and we would be changed. And so I'm asking for that. We'd be transformed by your presence. So I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for, again, what you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today I've entitled this message, One Blood. Um, it's interesting that um, about three years ago now, I started a journey into the study of the subject of oneness. And that's a whole nother story on how I got um, into that journey. But for about three years now, I have read, studied, and written on the subject of oneness. Um, I wrote on it for my uh, master's thesis in 
theology and it's such a vast subject. <laughs> I asked them, I said, can I keep writing on this? There's just too much. I can't cover this all in this thesis. So I wrote on it for my doctorate dissertation and still could have just kept writing. I had to stop at some point because <laughs> I was like, I've got to finish this thing. Um, but the Lord has just continued to speak to me about oneness um, and, you know, oneness. That's how God exists. He exists as one. He is plural, but he is one. So I refer to oneness as like the governing dynamic. It's the governing dynamic that we're supposed to have in all our relationships because it's the way that God functions. He functions in oneness and it's actually oneness is the last prayer that Jesus prayed with his disciples before he was crucified. You know, he's got this last time to pray. And what does he pray about? The heart of the, of his prayer was oneness, that he prayed that uh, we would all be one and we would be one as he and the father are one and that we would enter into oneness with them. And so this was on his heart, the last thing that he prayed. So oneness is very, um, you know, it's the heart of God. It's just the heart of God. It's the heart of God, again, for how we are to relate and how we to exist. So um, I've still been meditating. And like I said, oneness is a vast subject. And so I'd been still meditating on this oneness. And then on um, March 31st, you know, in light of everything that's going on with the virus and everything, I posted the following verse from Acts 17 on my social media. And I'm going to read it to you. It's Acts 17. 26 and 27 and it's talking about God here and it says and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us so and this is what I wrote on that social media post at the time I wrote this historic conjuncture, talking about the virus and everything, so unprecedented time. <laughs> this historic conjuncture makes us realize our oneness, our need. We are of one blood and there is one God who is our hope and our answer. Today, reach out and touch him. He's not far away. So um, at this time, the incident with George Floyd and the ensuing civil unrest that, that we're having, you know, had not happened when I wrote this. But in light of all the unrest and everything that has transpired, I found myself meditating on this verse and, and you know, asking the Lord for revelation because I believe, you know, that it's from him, all our hope, all our answers lie in him for everything, you know, everything, which is the bottom line, everything. So, um, at the same time that I was meditating on that and, and feeling like he wanted to speak something more to me from that passage of scripture, there was an event here in Atlanta called One Race. And, um, you know, it's a, a group of churches and people in Atlanta that come together over racial issues. And I think it's been going on actually for several years because, or maybe at least a year. I know I saw um, and watched some of the video from uh, the, I think it was last year, maybe they were up on Stone Mountain and praying and worshiping and stuff. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking and I was thinking again, oneness. I'm real honed in on that word one and oneness. And I was thinking about their name, you know, one, one race. And as I continued to meditate on that verse two of one blood and thinking about their 
name of one race, these are the thoughts that came to me. And I felt like they were from the Lord. Yes, we are one race, the human race, but God takes it deeper. He takes it to the truth of the matter that we are one blood. Race is something that we see outwardly, but blood is what is on the inside of each of us. And the Lord brought the verse to mind, 1 Samuel 16, 7. And this is the Lord. He's speaking of himself to the prophet Samuel. And he says, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so even as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about years ago, the Lord took me back. There was um, a time in a fellowship and I was in, and there was accusation being brought against a church member where I was attending. Now, at first, when the accusation was brought, I kind of concurred because I had had some interactions with this person and, and I had taken offense. Now that the thing that was being brought to me was more serious, you know, but obviously, again, you know, I had not forgiven and forgotten because I still remembered and I brought it up. Okay. Guilty. So <clears throat> after this conversation I'd had, um, I went to bed that night. No sooner than my head hit the pillow, than the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, when the Lord speaks to us, he's giving us revelation at the same time. He's got a point he's trying to make. He's wanting us to get. And um, he spoke to me and he said, do you really think that that's that person's heart? And, you know, when he said that, I could see their heart. And I said, no, Lord, I don't think that that's that person's heart. And I repented. And, you know, I asked for forgiveness myself. And so then I went to share with others, you know, what the Lord had spoken to me, but it was too late. You know, it had run through our whole fellowship, actually, and it got nasty, got real nasty. And, um, you know, the thing that I saw in that is that people wanted, um, they wanted some sort of payment for their offense. They wanted... Um, something to happen. They wanted that person to feel pain. They, you know, everybody wanted something to be given to them for the hurt that they felt. And um, I felt like they, you know, they wanted them to pay. So then I actually, um, a couple of years ago, I had a situation where I was very hurt with someone. I was having a hard time getting over it. And um, I called a friend. I said, you know, I'm struggling. I'm very, very hurt. Um, I'm having a hard time forgiving. And I asked her to pray with me. And um, in the midst of her praying, she just said one line. She said, um, Janice, this person owes a debt they can't pay. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't have the revelation then of you know, what the a complete revelation of what the Lord was trying to say to me, but I was like, that's it. That's it right there. There's a key in there. And Lord, you want me to get this key. I'm the kind of person I do not like to have any sort of unrest in in my life or in my relationships with the Lord uh, or with other people. I really don't. I I um the kingdom of God is is supposed to be righteousness, peace and joy. And that's what I want to have in my life. And 
if I'm not experiencing that, I'm going to go and wrestle with the Lord until I, until I get there. Because I know that that's where he wants us to live and the place that he wants us to live is in that place of righteousness, peace, and joy. So um, what the Lord began to show me in my heart in this is I wrestled with him and about this line that this person owes a debt that they can't pay. It was like, you want this person to pay. You want them to hurt like you hurt. You know, they have done that, you know, they've done wrong. And so I was like, well, aren't I justified in wanting them to pay for that? But I knew that the Lord was speaking something very, very big to me. And I feel like this is something very, very big that we all have to get. And I heard this old song go through my head as I was dialoguing with the Lord. And I know you guys have always heard all heard this song. Um, it's talking about Jesus and it said he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, sin is actually compared to a debt. It is something that's owed and that's because it is a legal debt. We have broken God's law and something is owed. And actually that Greek word for debt um, in that in that Lord's Prayer where it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That Greek word there for debt. Okay, let me see if I can say this correctly. I wrote it out phonetically so I could try to say it. Is afalima, afalima. And the definition of that is that which is owed, that which is justly or legally due. So sin is a debt owed. It is a legal debt. And the law of God, when it is broken, that debt must be paid. Um, now, you know, in our humanness, what we do with sin and with that debt is we weigh it out. Okay. We say, well, this sin it, it needs to be paid for more. It's more costly than this sin. But that's not what God says. In James 2.10, he says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So he doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of, he says, it's all sin. It all needs to be paid for, every bit of it. Okay, and again, we want to say, well, my sin's not as bad as their sin, or this sin's not as bad as that sin. We want to weigh it out. But he says, guess what? It's all sin. And we have to come to that place. Actually, this is one of the verses the Lord speaks to me all the time. And I don't, um, I don't have the reference right now, but that sin is utterly sinful. I think we have to get to that point where we recognize there's no little sin. All sin is utterly sinful. It's all wickedness. So, you know, again, we want to weigh out sin. We want to be judge and jury. But the scripture tells us in James 4, 11 through 12, it says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So I begin to see as I, you know, went through this whole process of this person not being able to, 
to pay me, to repay me, but that I really wanted repayment. I wanted them somehow to pay me back for what they had done to me. I wanted them to hurt. Like I said, I want them to hurt like they hurt me. But I began to see that, that this person who had sinned against me, that it was just like all sin and they couldn't pay for it. There was nothing they could do that would pay for that sin. Did they owe a debt? Yes. But could they pay that debt? No. Only Jesus can pay for sin. Only Jesus can pay for sin. And only he can pay the debt that is owed for sin. I knew I'd probably get emotional speaking about this today because I think it's such a crucial issue. So the Lord, he spoke to me further in this whole situation about me wanting this person to pay. And he said that me wanting that person to pay for their sin was just like Cain, but I was being like Cain. <laughs> we know the story of Cain and Abel from the pop, don't we? Cain slew his brother. I'm going to read just for those who maybe aren't completely familiar with this story. I'm going to read it to you. Um, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse. And driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So this is what the Lord showed me from this story in relation to myself. That Cain was suffering the effects of sin in this story. But it was actually his own sin. <laughs> but he thought it was his brother's sin. But in any case, he was suffering the effects of sin. He thought somehow... If I shed my brother's blood, it will ease my pain. It will take away my offense. But it didn't. It actually 
destroyed everything he had treasured. You know, he was a tiller of the ground. That was his, his joy. But because of this, it took that from him and it drove him from the presence of the Lord. It actually drove him from the Lord's presence. And like he said, when he reaped the consequences, he said, my punishment is too great to bear. You know, my flesh, like Cain's was saying, if they could just feel the pain I feel, then my pain will be eased. And when we do this, what we don't realize is that we are just like Cain. Somehow, if it cost them something, if they shed blood, even if they shed blood symbolically, my pain will be released. I'll be vindicated. I'll be justified. They'll see. But this is not what happens. That we are still left in sin just like Cain. We're still left in our pain. And in fact, again, like Cain, so much of what we really wanted, we lose. You know, sin, like it said, was crouching at his door and his desire was to have him. It backdoored him and it will backdoor us. If we stay in this place of unforgiveness and bitterness, it will backdoor us. You know, we have to do violence with the sin of bitterness and unforgiveness in ourselves. We have to do violence to that. Matthew eleven twelve says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And we must do violence. We must do violence against all that wages war against the kingdom in ourselves. We must do, starts with us. We must do that first. Everything, we must examine ourselves and everything that would seek to keep us in any place of unforgiveness or bitterness. We must do violence with it. There are a couple of scriptures here. One of them, um, the first one is one that, you know, was very familiar to me. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, which no one will, which no one will see the Lord without which no one will see the Lord. Excuse me. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. You know, when you um, allow bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, it doesn't just defile you. It defiles other. It's like a plant. It's a root. Like it says, it's a root. So it's going to come up and produce. And you can think of all the things that plants do. You know, they shed seeds. <laughs> they grow. You know, they, they affect other things. And so when we have that within us, that's not dealt with, it, it, it doesn't just affect us. Sin never just affects us. And so when I looked this verse up, actually, um, in the list of the concordance verses that came up, another one came up that, you know, I know I've read this verse before, but this had never jumped out at me before, but it's from Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 19. Starting in verse 18, it says, um, and this is God, he's He's working covenant in the Old Testament here with them. And he's talking about covenant with, with his people here. And so he says, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord, our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And wormwood means 
bitterness. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. And um, again here, I thought it was very interesting that the Lord is linking bitterness and a bitter root with idolatry. And I've never seen it so much that way until I was reading this scripture. But, you know, when we have something like that that we hold on to. When we hold on to bitterness, when we hold on to unforgiveness, it becomes an idol. It becomes an idol in our heart and in our life. And I think it's also interesting here in the scripture, you know, the person is saying to themselves, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. And I think that's what happens, you know, we get deceived. We get deceived when we get in a place of bitterness and unforgiveness, deception comes in. Our heart gets deceived and we begin to think that we're okay, but we're not okay. So we think that we're okay. <laughs> So I believe that we have bitter roots in our nation and in the nations and that they are defiling many. And we can't follow the dictates of our own heart instead of the dictates of the kingdom. And again, you know, judgment starts with the household of God and that the body of Christ has got to deal with what's within us first because we are called to be light and salt. We are called to be the ones who affect our surroundings that affect our nation. You know, we're supposed to be that city set on a hill. We're supposed to be those people who shine forth the light of God. And so if we've got darkness in us, we're not going to be able to be that light. If we have unforgiveness in us. And so I feel like that we're seeing things in our nation, but I think they spiral down to the individual level. And I also think they spiral down to the church. I think within the body of Christ, they are, there's bitterness and unforgiveness that needs to be dealt with, that we need to deal, like I said, we need to do violence with, we need to do deal ruthlessly with this thing. Um, you know, we have sins in our nation and the nations that owe a debt, but no man can pay these debts and truly remove the pain from the sin that ails us. No man can do it. Just like no man can 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 do that for us only Jesus can pay for that only Jesus can heal our nation and that's why we've got to be a kingdom people and that's why we have to be that salt and light because it's only he that can pay for this debt it's only his blood that can pay for this so we've got to bring our heavenly citizenship to bear upon the earth uh, and that's the thing. We are not really citizens of this earth. If you belong to the Lord, your citizenship is in heaven. And I will read you a couple of scriptures. Here's Philippians 3.20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And also Hebrews 11.13-16. It says that we're actually strangers or pilgrims or exiles here on earth. And that we are looking for a heavenly country. So there was another key in this passage about Cain that I really felt like the Lord again in that, that he brought out to me. And that's from within that Genesis 4.10. And it's where the Lord says to Cain after he killed Abel, he says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Okay. Then there's another passage in scripture that refers to this about Abel's blood crying out. And that's in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Okay. And um, I don't know if I'm read this whole thing, but it's basically talking about that us as New Testament Christians, you know, that now we are, um, we are the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Okay. And that we've come to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And then it says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So we don't know. God said that Abel's blood was crying from the ground. We don't know. There's no place that really tells us what this blood was crying, but we can deduce it from this scripture and that Jesus's blood speaks better. It speaks of better things. And we actually know what Jesus's blood speaks. We know from the cross, you know, when he was on the cross, Matthew, um, I mean, Luke 23, 34, it says, then Jesus said, father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then in Matthew 26, 28, when he was having the last supper with his disciples, you know, he's doing like what we do communion. He said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the blood of Jesus cries out for that remission of sins for them to be paid for. And the blood of Jesus is the only thing, the only thing that can pay for sin. Again, you know, that person that had wounded me, they owed a debt. They couldn't pay. But Jesus' blood could pay for that. And that's what I had to get a hold of. And that I had to allow his blood to pay for that. And I had to let that work in me. I had to let his heart work in me. I had to let his cry from the cross of, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. I had to let that work in my heart. You know, our nation owes a debt. It cannot pay. We've shed so much blood in so many ways. And only, only the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice and suffering can take away that sin and heal our nation. It's the only thing that can heal us individually. It's the only thing that can heal our communities. It's the only thing that can heal our, our nation and the nations of the world. The blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53. I'll read um, verse 5 out of that for you. And in a lot of past uh, Bibles, this is entitled The Suffering Service. And it's a servant. And it's the prophetic um, passage about Jesus. And it says, but he, speaking of Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. First Peter 2, 24 echoes this again. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So we have to let 
the pain, the suffering, and the sacrifice of Jesus pay for the debt that is owed to us. Whatever that debt is. Only his sacrifice can do that. Only he can heal us. His wounds heal us. When, when we let him take us into his heart and his mind, and again, when we let him take us with him to that cross, then it heals us. It brings release in our life. It releases us from the power of sin. You know, again, sin will backdoor you. Unforgiveness and bitterness will backdoor you. It comes in the back door and you become actually just like the thing that you hate. Just like the thing that you probably are so hurt over. And again, then the heart gets deceived and we don't see it. You know, as Christians, we have to enter into the sacrifice of his blood that says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. We are all of one blood. And we must know each other only by that one blood. And we must look past the outward and we must look at the heart. And we must get those eyes that God has that says, when he says, do you think that's really their heart? You know, even if they're deceived, these people were deceived that put Jesus on the cross. And what did he say? They don't know what they're doing. If they did, they wouldn't do it. It says that if they did, in scripture, it says that if they did, they wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. But they didn't know what they were doing. Paul says it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In the New Living Translation, it says, um, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Galatians 3, 26 through 28, it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the great equalizer. He makes us all equal. He puts us on the same ground, on the same footing. There's not, like it says, there's not male or female. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not slave or free. He makes us all sons of God. We all get to be Christ in this world. You know, Paul said that for me to die is gain, but to live is Christ. That for us Christians, that's our identity is Christ. That's to be our, our, our identity, that we are citizens of a heavenly country, a heavenly kingdom that we're bringing to bear. And they, we are being, you know, as, as Christ ambassadors. And so I want to go back into that 2 Corinthians passage and just read it because it talks about that, that 2 Corinthians where I just read about that we're supposed to stop seeing or knowing each other by the flesh. So I'm going to read the whole passage there, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 24. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, flesh. yet now we know him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry that we have now. As sons of God, we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Christ doesn't impute our trespasses to us. He forgives us when we don't know what we're doing. And that's what we're called into. That ministry of reconciliation, same thing, not imputing trespasses to people. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that same word. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We're to be his ambassadors. You know, that's what, what an ambassador is. An ambassador, like we have ambassadors that come to our nation from other nations. And they come and they are representative of that country. They actually, they bring that country with them. It's my understanding that where they walk is as if they're still in their other country that they have what's called diplomatic immunity. And that, that's who we're to be. We are to bring the kingdom with us. We are to be ambassadors. We're to recognize that we're not really citizens of this earth, and that we are heavenly citizens here on this earth, that we're citizens of the kingdom. And we're to be God's ambassadors. And we're, be, we're to be bringing this message of reconciliation that does not count trespasses. It does not impute trespasses, but instead it says the blood of Jesus forgives you and invites people into that and invites people into the healing of that. Invites people into his kingdom and invites people to be reconciled to God. It says at the bottom of this that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, Isaiah 28, 17, it says that righteousness is the plumb line. Now, plumb line is is like a level and um, and it levels things and it measures them to be level vertically. OK, on this plane. Or did I say that wrong? Maybe horizontal. <laughs> but anyway, it measures them to be level. OK. And, um, you know, as I was in intercession this last week concerning all the unrest that's going on in, in this country, um, the Lord brought the following verse to mind. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees and make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And, um, you know, we are a body. But there are parts of us right now that are feeble and weak. They're disabled, they're lame. But this tells us that the way that these things are to be healed is to make level paths for our feet. And again, righteousness is that plumb line. It is that leveler. 
and that we have to get the, the righteousness of Christ. We have to bring that to bear. We have to have that in our lives and we have to bring that to bear on the situations around us. Um, you know, we have to apply him in all ways. So, you know, our nation and our world needs Christ. We need, we need the blood of Jesus. We need him to pay for this debt of sin. I believe the shaking that's going on right now in the nations is to get shake us down, to get us to those things that remain, to get us to, to shake us down and shake us down to the person of Christ. You know, um, we've got to apply the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that speaks better, that speaks of better things, the blood of Jesus that takes away pain and that pays for pain and that pays for sin. That's what we've got to get. In fact, we've got to get what I believe is his blood for our one blood. We have to get his blood to cover the one blood that we all are. You know, this last week in a time of intercession, again, um, the story of Nebuchadnezzar came to mind from the book of Daniel. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon and the Israel, um, Israelites had been taken into exile there. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, he was very proud, very you know, of who he was. And basically he'd had a dream and he had had a dream that he didn't understand. And Daniel was um, one of um, the advisors there in the kingdom. He had been uh, elevated to that place, even though he wasn't of that kingdom. So he's like an advisor to the king. And so I'm going to read to you starting where Daniel begins to interpret this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel says, this is what the dream means, your majesty. And what the Most High, talking about God, has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel talking to him again, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, excuse me, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. 
He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom and even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven and all his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. And I believe our nation and the nations of this earth are in a time of insanity. And I believe that because we have forsaken God in our pride and in our thinking that we are self-sufficient in ourselves. You know, that we have the power to heal things and to do things. That we have the solution that man is the answer to man's problems. But man is never the answer to man's problems. God is the answer to our problems. God is the one who rules over the nations of this earth. And we've got to recognize that. We have to recognize that individually. But I believe, too, we're at a time when we have got to recognize that nationally. And some people say, well, we, you know, yeah, they'll have a prayer breakfast. They do this. But we, we've got to have fruit in keeping with repentance. We're not bringing forth the fruit of that. For one, the grievous sin of abortion that even during this COVID-19, that that was considered an essential service. And I was just reading yesterday that even the Supreme Court, now in two cases, was ruled against churches during this time, where the church in Nevada, they, they brought a lawsuit saying, you know, you're limiting us to 50 people, but you're allowing these casinos to be at half capacity. And evidently, this church could have housed at half capacity, I guess, more than 50 people. But the Supreme Court ruled against it. And so, you know, what I, the verse that comes to mind is that where it says, you know, these people, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And God's the answer to the insanity that we're experiencing. And I believe he's letting us experience that insanity until we repent. Until we cry out for his blood, for our nation, for him to cover these sins. We let him come and we let him pay these, these debts that are owed. You know, we must seek to be those who look at the heart. We've got to see as he sees. We've got to get the blood of Jesus that speaks better. We've got to deal with these bitter roots and this unforgiveness that we have. We've got to recognize that we are of one blood and that we need one blood. We need the blood of Jesus that covers sins. I want to end with a well-known verse that I know most of you have heard. 
Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. And this is God speaking. And he says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people, my people, God's people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you even for this promise. That, Lord, that if we turn to you, and if we do these things that it says, if we humble ourselves, if we turn for our wicked ways, if we seek your face, that then you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. Lord, we need the blood of Jesus to pay these debts that no man can pay. Father, I pray right now just for each of us individually, every place where we may have hurts, bitterness, things have been done to us that, yes, they were not right. They were not right. But that, Lord, there's no way that those people can pay. There's no way. Only you can pay. It's a debt that only you can pay. Your word says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good that we can do. We need your righteousness to be brought to bear. We need your plumb line. We need you to level things so that healing can come. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now, just that you would speak to us each individually. We would each humble ourselves and individually let you search us, Lord. Let us try, let you try us and see if there's any wicked way in us. And Lord, then we would turn, we would be those who bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. It wouldn't just be words, but Lord, truly that our hearts would be turned to you. Father, I believe that you want I believe that you want to turn our nation back, just like with Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, when he humbled and he recognized, Lord, when he recognized who you were, when he when he publicly made that proclamation of who you were, that, Lord, you restored things back to him. And so, Father, I pray for that. I pray that we would look to you, we would recognize you, where we begin, where we've been proud where we've said we don't need you. There's even been a governor in this country who recently said that they didn't need God. Father, forgive us. We need you. We are desperately needy. I believe you're letting us see our neediness. I thank you that you're a merciful God. I thank you that you love us. I thank you, Lord, that you don't you, you have no pleasure, you say, in the death of the wicked. You, you take no pleasure in any of that. You long for all to be saved. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for these things. I thank you for your word. 
And I do pray, Father, that it would accomplish the purpose for which it's been sent. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, I pray that you will be blessed. And again, that this that these things, that they will minister to you and they'll bring freedom and life to you. Thank you.